Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to another Words and Nerds podcast where we give you literary goodness straight to your ears wherever you are. Today I welcome Fleur Ferris, winner of Young Australian Best Book Award, Yabba, for her debut YA novel, Risk. Fleur Ferris has subsequently built a reputation for dark and compelling YA thrillers and today we're going to talk about another one of those called Seven Days. How are you, Fleur? Very well, thank you. Now, Seven Days, such an action-packed, compelling novel. Give us an elevator pitch. When Ben, 14, learns his great-grandfather, a rich and highly respected doctor, was hunted down and shot by three brothers 100 years ago, he risks all to expose new evidence, sacrifices his family's reputation to reveal ugly truths and dissipates a generational family feud when he writes the wrongdoings of his ancestors. Wow, you've done that before, haven't you? <laughs> that was the first time that I did prepare it ahead. I've just um, prepared some pitch documents for the adaptation. So, Okay. Tell me about the adaptation. Well, no, that's just for pitching. So right. there, is no, there is no deal or anything like okay. that. I do that for all of my books. Um, I've been focusing on screen uh, in the last few years and trying to hone my skills and uh, bring them up to industry industry standard. So, well, it's very exciting. I'm glad that I got to hear it first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope they like it. <laughs> <laughs> now, books and publishing um, have described Seven Days as a peculiar mix of gothic tropes, boys' own adventures, and an introspection into rural Australia. I really liked that description. So tell us about the mix of gothic tropes and the boys' adventure and and the rural Australia. Tell me how they all came together to make this novel. Well, it is based in Australia. So, um, of course, I grew up in Australia, in in rural Australia. So a lot of my work is in smaller country towns. Um, This one, in my mind, the town is Mansfield. Um, But because I did combine a couple of towns, and a couple of, there's a zoo in the in the story and I've combined two zoos. One was Werribee and one was the Mansfield Zoo. So that's why the town in the, in the book is called Manaby. <laughs> um, so, but it is very Australian. When, when the, the boy turns up at his cousin's house, he's greeted with this great big kangaroo standing in the front yard. Um, he's terrified of it. It's, it stands over six foot tall. Um, so, so yeah, so it's, it's very Australian in that way. Mm, I love that. And what about, um, you know, because the, they've described it with boys' adventures and gothic tropes. Tell me about that. Well, I think the boys' adventure, the two, the two main characters are boys and they really 
take it on themselves and go on this wild adventure to solve a mystery and to search for something. So they're you know, sneaking out on a motorbike, um, they're abseiling, they're doing all sorts of crazy, crazy things um, that I think is, is very much geared to boys. Mm, um, one of them is from the country and one's from the city. So one is far more comfortable than the other in this setting and in the things that they're doing. So it's, um, it sort of highlights the danger through the fear of the main character who's the city kid. Mm. So no, I really yeah. loved that part of the novel. It really sort of gave it that extra, you know, page-turning quality of <laughs> what is going to happen now and what do they what are they going to get themselves into. It, it is a great adventure, though, and I really liked that. And I think readers have liked that too. So I looked up a number of the reviews and, you know, every one of them is like, it's action-packed, it's page-turning, it's, you know, can't wait to see what happens to these characters. And you put them through the ringer, can I say? Yeah, I did. I wasn't very nice to them, was I? <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't set out to do a lot of that, but when, when I'm writing, I have the main outline um, in my mind and I know how it might end and then it's, the rest happens on the keys. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I, I wanted it to be action-packed and action-driven. So whereas some of my other novels are more in the headspace, mm-hmm. um, this one has a fair bit of that, but I also wanted the action, and that's because of the focus that I've got on screen at the moment too mm. and what I can show when I, when I adapt, adapt it into something else. So would you consider yourself a planter, so a person who does the outline but then doesn't do too much detail so you can do the surprises, you can find the surprises when you sit down at the keys? Is that how you work as a writer? Yeah, I think so. I I see scenes in my head um, for a, when I have about 15 scenes, that's when I start, okay, I'm going to sit down and start mm-hmm. writing. Okay. Um some of those scenes are really detailed. Others, I just have big gaps and I don't know what they are. Um, before I start writing, though, I know the characters so well already. And they, they're already real people to me in a sense that I know how they're going to respond and I know their background and I know how they speak and how mm. they walk and, and their traits. And um, so I... There's, there's all of that in my mind. None of this is written down, mind you. It's all just in my head. And then the rest of it just happens and sometimes it changes the whole novel. I didn't know the, that there was going to be a certain thing that happens at the end of seven days. So that was a bit of a surprise to me. Mm, I love that. Do you do that often with your novels, surprise yourself as you get to the end or do you normally have them planned out? Not necessarily. When I wrote Risk... Um, I didn't know what was going to happen to Sierra and I just wrote it without thinking about it. And then I walked around the house for hours going, can I actually do that to her? <laughs> so it was just one of those things that I didn't know. I, I thought she would come back mm-hmm. um, and I wasn't sure that. Now, I love the cover. I just think it's a phenomenal cover. You've got feet at the top. You've got this giant hippo with his huge mouth open ready to sort of eat the words. I just think it's one of the best covers that I've seen. Tell me about your first reaction when the cover came back to you. Was it what you envisioned? Yeah, I love it. 
I actually said it as a joke to um, my publisher. But what I love is how you were joking around about having the hippo on the front, but it's yeah, just amazing. It. But I love it so much. Like I don't think I've ever seen um, a, a cover quite like it. Yeah, I love it too. <laughs> it's just incredible. And it, and it stands out, doesn't it? It does. It does. Yeah. And I love it how the letters are kind of falling into the hippo's mouth. So if you haven't seen it as a listener, you need to Google the cover of Seven Days because it's just a phenomenal cover. I love it. Now, I think also in this book and what attracts young people to it so much is, you know, the hunt for for buried treasure. I mean, as a kid, didn't we all want to uncover mysteries and, you know, find out cool things? So I love how you've had, you know, these teenagers look for buried treasure, almost like kids go and look for treasure, you know, but this has got a bit of weight to it. Tell me about this. Well, I love a treasure hunt. <laughs> And, you know, Indiana Jones and mm, all of those, mm. uh, those movies that, that everybody loves. Um, and, yeah, I just thought I always had this in my mind. It was going to be in the lion's cage, but we didn't end up, I didn't end up doing that. And I'm like, no, it can't be there. That's just not right. Um, and... The Mansfield Zoo, for those listeners, uh, if you're not familiar with Mansfield, it's a beautiful town in um, northern Victoria at the base of Mount Buller, and there's an open-range view uh, zoo there. Um, and I just thought, well, 100 years ago, that would not have been a zoo. Mm. It would have just been paddocks. So when I was researching something else, I was researching a true crime um something for a true crime story and it struck me that a crime that happened a hundred years ago had still affected people of today their mm. family members and I just found that interesting and I sort of explored that too in another book I wrote called Black where um, the the great grandfather of Aidan had gone off to war and, and the brother was killed and so they missed a whole arm of their family a whole branch of their family tree um, and I liked I wanted to explore the idea that what we do matters in a hundred years time because yeah. what happens in a hundred years ago matters to us mm. so I brought that forward and I thought well treasure it, it jewels stays like a hundred years ago it will still be the same and it would have risen in value and everything like that so it was something that I could bring from the past into the present yeah it's fascinating and as well as that it's about you know I don't know if you can but it's exploring um not only the ongoing effects but trying to right a wrong and I'm not sure that you can do that but I guess exploring and digging and finding out the truth there is some kind of peace in that yeah and I think owning what your family or ancestors have done is one way mm. to as you say you can't write wrong because something happened yeah. back then but you can make those of today feel a bit better about it mm. by owning it yeah and think justice maybe if you can can be yeah, served as it, well if an injustice has been passed down to generations which is what happened in that book um those are still suffering today mm. yeah because absolutely. of that so um, I had one that the main character, um, he 
I wanted to make him more aware of this um, because I think people of today are more aware mm. and wanting not and wanting not to be entitled, yeah. wanting equality. And so that was really important to me for this character to have that. Mm. And generational trauma is something that really intrigues me about, you know, that kind of trauma or anxiety actually being passed down on a cellular level like i've read some studies yeah. that says that can, that can actually occur which just absolutely fascinates me so you're right what happened 100 years ago is going to matter you know whether whether you like it or not so i find yeah. that completely intriguing and i'd love to do a bit more reading on that and it's it makes you think too well what we do now matters mm. we, we better be okay we better do good things <laughs> do the best we can yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and, so, and things with climate change too, what we do mm, now really yeah. will matter in 100 Absolutely. years' Absolutely. And, you know, because what we did 20, 30, 50 years ago is impacting yeah. us now, you know, so absolutely it all matters. Now, just going back to your writing process, I mean, I always think when you're writing a, a novel with plots and twists and turns and surprises, there has to be a little bit of planning in there, I guess, to kind of up the ante or to have those little plot points throughout. Do you just do that organically or do you plot these kind of twists and turns out on your, um, you know, when you do the outline? All of the twists are organic. Mm -hmm. They just happen on the keys. I don't know when they're going to happen and sometimes I have to stop and think, does that work? <laughs> and I have to go back and say, okay, what, what, how does that affect everything else? And um, if it hasn't, then I have to go back and do the setup to make it work. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a few twists in seven days, and yet yeah, not one of them was planned. I plan the main story. Mm -hmm. and of course the characters. Mm. I love that. I love that because you almost surprise yourself. Like I feel like for me, if you plot too much, you know, you can get a bit stale, I guess, and not surprise yourself. But if you can just figure out, you sort of know where you're going with your 15 scenes in your head and then you just go. And, you know, I think the best feeling is surprising yourself when you're writing. I think so too. That's. I think that's where the magic happens mm. for me as a writer. And I would never want to lose that. And with screenwriting, it's been a little bit diffi more difficult because the process that I've been learning in the courses I've been doing it is very much plotted out, scene by scene, and I find that really um, difficult because it's when I'm in the moment when those things come to me mm. and and when the surprises happen. Yeah. When I'm sitting there thinking about it, it's not half, it's not <laughs> half as a surprise, you know, as surprising. Creativity is a strange thing, isn't it? it you is just can't thing. get a handle on it, can you? But at least you've sort of figured out what works for you in your process. And I think, you know, once you've written enough books, your brain kind of goes, okay, this is how I work, you know, and this is how you're going to get yeah. the magic. So I love that too. I love how, and I love how it's never, you know, you can ask a hundred writers for their advice and they'll all be different and then it'll be different for you again. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I love that about writing advice that there is so much, but then that's the downfall as well. There's so much. So, you know, you kind of got to filter to what works for you yeah it can be different for different books as well yeah so yeah with, definitely with rick because there were two characters and they were in two different time zones so one mm -hmm. was five years ago and one was present mm -hmm. and they were thrillers one was male one was female i ended up having to stop writing because i was writing alternate voices as you would read it yep. and they started to sound the same mm -hmm. and so in the end i 
stopped writing it like that and I wrote her story and his story and then cut it and uh-huh. then she, um, you know, put it together, yeah, put it together like a jigsaw. I've heard a lot of people do that because they find, like you said, with the voice, you just got to go deep into that person's voice, nail it, get it right, and then you can go into the other. Otherwise, yeah, it's it's a bit hard or they, they become similar writing them alternatively. Yeah. I find that, I think that's really interesting, isn't it? Just get, you get your brain into one, sort of switch your brain into one voice and then move to the second. I've, yeah, I've heard that a lot lately, actually. Yeah, and it's not doesn't work when you've got a male and a female who a little bit different age and mm. you know he starts sounding like her <laughs> and you want and you want that of course you want the voices to be very different you want yeah, yeah. yeah those character voices to come through now you know you are you are known I guess for you know dark compelling YA thrillers why are you drawn to writing these I think because I'm drawn to watching that and I'm drawn to reading that and it's always been that way yeah when I was growing up um, my mum was a thriller reader and that's what was available to me and that's just what I read. Mm-hmm. I was a big reader um, right through my secondary years but they were all adult thrillers mm. apart think, from my school books. Yeah, and I think it's it's also it's part excitement in thrillers and part mystery and, and page turning but I think thrillers and crime, they have the potential to show the best and worst of humanity and I really like exploring those ideas. I like the, ex- the extremes of it yes, as well. Yes, yes. And, and the that, what ifs, you know, like yeah. what if I was in that situation, would I do that? I find that fascinating because you don't know, you'll never know until you're in that position. That's right, and you can't predict how you might be. And my my background was in police and ambulance services, so, you know, responsing, responding to crisis and unexpected things mm. happening for people. And... I was really fascinated by human emotion yeah. because regardless of their age, sex, um, religion, um, where they were from, or human emotion was human emotion mm. and you would see when everything, the varnish was stripped back and nothing was holding them back, you would, you would just see these, this rawness that every single person on the planet has regardless of who they are where they're from Mm. and I just found that quite fascinating to be able to witness that yeah absolutely Um, and you know then they would collect themselves and you know cover cover themselves up again Mm. because they have to behave in a certain way because we're all conditioned to it and those feelings are quite confronting too even when you're having them they're quite confronting you know yeah oh it's terrible to to cease Mm. because you know you're not turning up to something good yeah in those roles so yeah um and that's like people say to me how do you get into the head of a teenager how do you I don't see people as different ages in that way I don't write them like that Mm. it because because of what I saw when I was working in those fields Human emotion is is human emotion regardless yeah. of your age. So whether yeah. you're five or six, you can be feeling terrified or at grief. And the same as when you're 70 or 80. Mm. Mm. 
It's very interesting that um, that self-protective mechanism or the facade we show people, but we've all got, you know, the ability to be that raw, vulnerable self, which is, you know, exactly what you said. You don't know how you're going to react in specific situations. And that's, I like exploring that kind of humanity because, you know, you don't often, you don't want to explore it in real life, but I find I it a fascinating part of who we are that we often don't see. Now, Flo, the question I ask all my guests when they come onto the podcast is why do you write? So it's your turn to answer that question now. <laughs> I think, well, I write because I can't not write. Um, but it all started when I was much, much younger and it was almost like my therapy. I, was just, <laughs> I used to just write. Yeah. Um, if there was anything wrong, I would write it. And um, never back then did I think I'd be writing novels. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just sort of morphed into that when I was in my 20s and um, I, I started writing short stories and I got a couple of them published in the Woman's Day magazine and then I thought, okay, well, I might try to write something a bit longer and um, I just found that once I started writing, I just I couldn't stop writing in that longer form and creating the characters and I've always had this thing in my head that I had stories and like it plays out like movies in my head and I just thought everybody had that. So I was just writing what I saw and hoping someone else might like it. <laughs> but I didn't show anyone anything for a long time. So I wrote, I think, five novels before I showed somebody a novel. Um, and I was so, so nervous about doing that. So... That, that caused me so much stress showing someone my first novel. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it does. So, so yeah, so I, I think I just I write because I I, I can't not. Mm. It's just something in me. It's something a part of me, and um, I get up at four in the morning, five in the morning, and write in the in those quiet hours, and it's just a part of my day. Mm. I love that. I love writing those dark things in that you know, sort of <laughs> quiet time. I'm the opposite. I'm a, I stay up late, but it's the same kind of feeling. You know, everyone's asleep. The lights are out in the neighbourhood and it's just you and, you know, what's in your head. I love that space as well. I just do it the other, other side of the day. <laughs> yeah, I get too tired at night. So, yeah. and I think when I had my back, when my children were small, that was the only time yep. really that I had, um, time when everybody was asleep yeah, at once yeah children train you uh, to not need sleep i think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well thank you fleur again i love your work i do love you know the exploration of all those dark things that's what attracts me to your books as well and i think <laughs> seven days is one of those action-packed you know against the clock kind of uh, novels that keep you reading and keep you turning the pages you know i read a lot of books and um you know, there are only probably a few of those that get you um, turning the page and sort of reading them in one sitting. So seven days was certainly one of those. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you.